very, very interesting Nitziv in the beginning of Parshish Chayesara about the differences between Sarah and Avraham and a difference or a dichotomy which I feel, I feel is very reflective or characteristic of the life of Rabbi Sachs, Zechat Tzedek Lebracha, which I think a lot of people are starting to discover. People who didn't read him, didn't necessarily follow his Torah, they feel they are very touched by his passing in retrospect, looking back at his life, touched by his writings, his life work. A lot of people in the classic Torah world aren't able necessarily to wrap their heads around that this wasn't the classic Magichir, Rosh Hashiva, Poseik, someone that was well-versed in the world of Halacha, and we know how to do that. We know how to mourn people of that. We know how to raise people of that stature. But what do you make of someone who came from a different place, was involved in something a little bit different, but yet people feel very touched by it. So I want to put a little perspective on that through the Nitziv's groundbreaking, really revolutionary distinction between Avram and Sarah. And he discusses in the beginning of Pashachai Sarah when Sarah dies, because there's not that much documentation of Sarah's life. If you ask yourself, what is Sarah involved in? She's she's in a box, of course, according to Chazal, she's in a box. She's hijacked twice, once by power, once by Avimelech. She's in the back of the tent. She laughs or is, uh, is, is shocked at the prospect that she could bear children. And her only real, as we would say, initiating, authorial, where she authors the events and, and she makes the right call and the right choice. At least we see in the Pesukim, obviously Chazal fill in the blanks, but in the Pesukim we see her directing Avram Kolasher Tomar Lechasar Shema Bekola. And Chazal say that Avram was a nitval to Sarah bin Avua, that uh, Avram was secondary to Sarah bin Avua, which is, again, just really shocking. It's really, it sounds almost... Uh, unacceptable. Avraham had so much nevuah from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Sarah had very little communication with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The little communication she had, she, she didn't accept. She, she doubted. She, she questioned. So the one time Hashem speaks with her, she's um, she is um, that's what I'm looking for. She's not receptive to it, and yet she's called superior to Avraham and nevuah. So this clues into the that there's something different about Sarah. It talks about in the beginning of Chaya Sarah, where we hear about Sarah's life posthumously after she dies, and he'll talk about what, where he, what he sees in the Pasuk, but let me first describe the issue itself. And it says there really are two ways to discover a Kodesh Baruch Hu, to discover the wisdom of a Kodesh Baruch Hu. There's the classic way to listen to Hashem speaking. That's the function of a Navi. That's the MO of a Navi. It's when Hashem speaks with you, and obviously that's superior because you're receiving the directly revealed word of the Rabbani Shalala. And Avram was the quintessential Navi, the first, I mean, he's not really the first Navi in the way that Moshe is coronated or designated as the first Navi, but certainly he speaks to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and certainly he, he doesn't make the list of Navim in the classic list of 48 Navim in the Gemara, but certainly his speaking to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the visions Hashem displays to him, the Rizbein HaBesarim, the promises, the Nevuos, Avram's the first Navi. Sarah wasn't a Navi at all. Sarah accessed HaKadosh Baruch Hu's deeper wisdoms through what the Nitziv calls Ruach HaKodesh. Ruach HaKodesh is not directly speaking to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. In fact, according to the Nitziv, it's not speaking to HaKadosh Baruch Hu at all. You're not listening to Hashem's direct communication. I'll read the language for you, then I'll interpret it. Ruach HaKodesh, the Nitziv writes, Hu ma she'adam misbodeid, Person meditates, contemplates, sits by themselves, we would say thinks, ponders, studies, explores. 
and then there's some divine inspiration to allow him, through his cognitive efforts, to find, or cognitive slash emotional efforts, thinking is not just a cognitive exercise, it's an emotive exercise, it's a visceral, existential process, the more you think, the more that you're engaged in the pursuit of knowledge, not just with your mind, but with your heart, with your essence, the more you can uncover. And Ruach HaKodesh, now I'm speaking now, enables analysis, enables discovery, enables acquiring knowledge. But the person who has Ruach HaKodesh doesn't receive the directly revealed word of HaKodesh Baruch And Sarah was the quintessence of Ruach HaKodesh. Avraham was the paradigm of a Navi. Sarah, in contrast, didn't really receive Nevoah. She is Ruach HaKodesh. Now, there's a bit of a problem with the text because the actual text of that Rashi I read before, the Medrash, is that Avraham was tafel to Sarah bin Nevoah. According to the Nitziv, Sarah wasn't a Navi. She never spoke to Hashem. We don't have any record of Hashem speaking to her she excelled in a different track, the track of Ruach HaKodesh. So that's an interesting question on the Nitziv. People already discussed that question. Now, the second layer of the Nitziv is why. Why did Sarah excel in Ruach HaKodesh, whereas Avram did not? Excelling in Nevoah is of HaKodesh Baruch Hu selected. HaKodesh Baruch Hu selected Avram for prophetic information, and he didn't select Sarah. Of course, a Navi can't just be passive in receiving Hashem's word. There has to be an attempt to remove some of the barriers, whether it be physical barriers, whether it be mental barriers. And the Siv talks about this earlier in Parshas Barashas. Take a look at that if, you're, if you want to follow the trail of thought. Um, I, I believe it is... Um, let me see if I can find it for you just to give you a Mara Makom. It's, it's earlier. It's, it's in the Pasuk of Vayedu Ki Erumim Heim. In that section, the Nitziv talks about how Navi can't just passively receive the word of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, but has to take active efforts to remove the barriers that distort the barriers that impede. But why does Avram um, achieve less in the field of Ruach HaKodesh than Sarah does? So there are two elements of Sarah's life which are largely responsible for her success in Ruach HaKodesh. And these are interesting. One is because she led a very sedentary life. Avram was busy, Avram was traveling, Avram was proselytizing, Avram was interacting with people and kings and angels and generals and priests and it was a very busy life. And this discovery tract of Sarah, the discovery tract which is enabled by Ruach HaKodesh, but not because you're listening to the revealed world of Hashem, takes a lot of time and contemplation and meditation. And, and Sarah, we see her in the OL, right? Typically Yaakov is Yaakov Ishtam Yoshev Ohalim. He's the person that's associated with the Ohel. But Visara Shamasvi, Sarah's in the Ohel, Pesach Ohel. So she has acquired her lifestyle. She's, I won't say in the background, because we tend to view that word as pejorative, and there's nothing background about thinking about Hakarashem's wisdom and discovering it through tranquility and probing and, and mental contemplation. But she's not as busy as Avram. And I'll read the language of the Nitziv. Misha Asako Imamon Rabba, person that's involved with a lot of people. He doesn't have time to sit and think. Boy, this, boy does that resonate. She sat in her tent. So two different profiles. person who's busy, running around. person who has time to think, probe, contemplate, analyze, read. 
Second of all, interestingly enough, Avraham had a lot of promises from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Avraham's life could be defined as Havtacha from the very onset. Lech Lecha, Lech Lecha, Lech Lecha. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is constantly promising Avraham. Really interesting, fascinating to see, to see that theme, that repetitive theme in Avraham's life. Whereas Sarah doesn't receive any promises, but she is a woman of Amuna. And it's based on a medrash. Again, we don't really see her as a woman of Amuna. There's no moment she asserts Amuna in a striking sense. But it's a medrash. Uh, the medrash says, Ata, or Sarah tells Avram, Ata behavtacha ve'ani be'amuna. You have your havtachos, I just believe. So Avram had havtachos. Sarah didn't know, didn't have any havtachos. There was no roadmap. Hashem didn't promise her anything. We would call the Pashad Amuna. We don't really know what the future holds. You don't have a clear determination of that future. You just have Pashad Amuna, Nakarish Baruch Hu. And that, the Nitziv says, that creates, and I'm, I'm elaborating a little bit on the Nitziv because I think that some of these ideas are, are implicit. That creates an inner serenity, an inner calm, an inner ability, an inner, as a happiness, serenity is a better word. That could be the grounds of creative thought and the grounds of creative analysis. Creativity is predicated upon inner calm. If you're not calm inside, you, you, can, you can have tension and confrontation and clashes. Right? A lot of the greats of the 20th century, one could claim, is based on the culture clashes that the Rav experienced in Berlin, that Lubavitcher Rebbe experienced in university, that Rav Huttner experienced when he went to university. But internally, there's got to be a baseline of calm, serene, even-keeled equilibrium. It's hard to, I call it those who are music fans, I call it the bass guitar, no band. This is, is, every band is only as good as his bass guitar, because the bass guitar or the bass drum, whatever sets the bass, just repeats the same rhythm in and out. And then the creativity can play off of that. So that's to be an inner, continuous calm. I know myself, when I'm not calm, when something is really tearing at me, it's very hard for me to learn, to grow, and to think. It's just, I'm just, my mind is, in, is splintered in too many places and too many elements to it. So Sarah had that inner calm. Because of that calm, she was able to think and to contemplate. And she didn't. She, she was following a different track from Avram, which is an important statement about specialization. We live in a world of homogenization and universalization. Where everyone has to be one person and one type and one style and one ashkafa and one approach. And second, a gadol story comes out. Everyone has to adopt that gadol's behavior rather than saying that behavior fit that gadol may not fit me. First of all, because I'm not a gadol. Second of all, even if I were a gadol, even if that behavior were non-gadol oriented, there could be behavioral traits that are appropriate for one person at a certain time in their life that are not appropriate for where I'm at and what I'm involved in. And it's really hard. It takes a lot of identity and a lot of confidence and religious confidence. And I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure that we have so much of that, a lot of the conformity and everyone trying to conform to everyone else's standards. I wonder if that's based on an inner religious underconfidence, which, yeah, I, it doesn't make a difference what my analysis is, but if it is true, then down the line, that underconfidence could be, it could create vulnerabilities. Um, so in the language of the Nitziv, and because of that, the Nitziv writes, She had a life of calm, and Avram's life, when, when you have the simple Amuna, there's this baseline of simple belief that isn't altered or isn't influenced, you can tell that Avram reacts to the 
to the to the influences in his world, to to the changes, to the vicissitudes. After the war, he's unsure about the promises, and Hakadosh Baruch Hu has to twice um, remind him. That's probably the the place where Avram wonders the most, at least in the Psukim. And Sarah doesn't wonder because there's no. And I wrote about this. I wrote an article uh, last week in some of the newspapers about whether Hashem wants us to wonder, or wants us to have a moon of pshita, based on the Akedah, based on Parshas Vayera. So anyway, these are the two profiles: the profile of Avram, who was the Navi, the profile of Sarah, who was a person who never really spoke or never heard Hakadosh Baruch Hu's word, but was able to probe and analyze. And of course, Hakadosh Baruch Hu's Ruach Hakodesh, the Ruach Hakodesh, Hakadosh Baruch Hu enabled her to discover deeper mysteries. And the two features of her life that enabled that were the fact that she didn't have a very busy life. A, and B, her simple amuna, and that caused a calm serenity, and that's why, getting back to the first passage in Chaye Sarah, that's why the word Chaye is written twice. By you, Chaye Sarah, we all know that word. Meashana, 100, Esumshana, 20, Shevashanim, Shnei Chaye Sarah. Why does the passage repeat Shnei Chaye Sarah? Obviously, literally, it creates an enclosure or an inclusio. What, what was? So then it feels the word Chayim in Tanakh means two different things. Sometimes it means life, years, actually lived, and sometimes it means happiness, um, contentment, serenity. So Sarah had 127 years on this earth, and they were completely tranquil and um, unsplintered because of her Amor Nebshuta. Anyway, what does this have to do with Rabbi Sachs? Um, when we study Torah, when we study, when I mean Torah, especially we're engaging not just in the words of the Tanakh, but then literally deconstructing those words based on our Masara. And one letter in the Torah can trigger hundreds and hundreds of pages of discussion in the Gemara and thousands and thousands of secondary discussions in Rishonim and Achronim. And this is, of course, someone like myself, that's what, what I would like to dedicate my life to. I don't always have the time, but certainly that I feel is my calling. We're speaking to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We're listening directly to Hashem. Now, obviously, I'm interpreting, and obviously, I'm using my mind. I'm using, but essentially, I'm trying to recover all those trillions of ideas that were ricocheting at Harsina. At Harsina, Hashem didn't just say words. Hashem delivered streams and streams of logic and information, and every single... Every single item was either Tameh or Tahar, 49 ways to prove that it's Tameh, 49 ways to prove that it's Tahar, in ways that the human mind can't understand because we operate in binary truths and Akadosh Baruch operates in multiple coexistent truths. So that's this endless, endless pursuit. You could spend, tell the Tamidim and Shira, I could spend my whole life on one page of Gemara and still not exhaust the deep, deep mysteries that Akadosh Baruch told us at Har Sinai. How much HaKadosh Baruch told us at Harsinai? Did he tell every little detail? We created just the templates and human beings developed it. That's already a question. I've spoken about that. But we are essentially, structurally, none of us are Nevi'im, but structurally we're trying to recreate the process of Nevo'ah. It's a little, very different, but essentially our goal is to discover the direct word of HaKadosh Baruch Navi does it one way, Chacham does it another way. Now, Rabbi Sachs, I'm sure, did that as well. Obviously, I don't know him that well and, and, and how much of that process he was involved in. Certainly what he's known for and his imprint and mark on the world 
was much more similar to the Nitziv's profile of Sarah. He was not trying to discover what Hashem said at Har Sinai. I'm holding the book, The Great Partnership, which I'm trying to go through about science and religion, and I'm going to make my way through the book, but these are not the words of HaKadosh Baruch Hu had Har Sinai largely defined. This is the logic, the morals, the ethics, the, the how human beings can articulate, how human beings can put terms to what Hashem's system represents in human terms. So it's not top-down. Baruch spoke at Har Sinai, and we're trying to trace that voice. It's bottom-up. Now that HaKadosh Baruch Hu delivered this system to us, how are we, what are we to make of it? Just, just to read to you the chapters here, just if you're not familiar with the book, you get a sense. Okay, these are the chapters. Part number one, God and the search for meaning. The meaning-seeking animal, we look for meaning. In two minds, diverging paths, finding God. Why it matters. Faith in its challenges. Why religion, when religion goes wrong, why God? So I don't think HaKadosh Baruch Hu at Harsin, I spoke about these ideas, but HaKadosh Baruch Hu delivered a system and he wants us to try to personalize and humanize the system, make it have meaning in our world of thought, morality, philosophy, politics, anthropology, culture, history, science. So Rabbi Sachs was very much, at least to me, again, I'm not this, a student of his like some of the others were, and certainly he's not my Rebbe in the way that Rav Amitel and Rav Lachinsin, and even the Rav was my Rebbe, not that I spent so much time with the Rav, but I feel like I immersed myself in his world of thought and Torah. But it seems as if that was the role that Rabbi Sachs played. And he played that role so exceptionally and eloquently, specifically because of the two reasons or the two factors in his life that parallel the two factors in Sarah's life. He didn't spend time or the same classic amount of time sitting in the benches of yeshiva, working through, again, I'm saying this with this, as much uh, caution as I can. I don't know his life. I don't know where, where he did or didn't learn. And obviously, he, he spent time learning the base matters, but not, not in the same way that Ravara Lichtenstein spent his whole life in the base matters working through the intricacies of, of a Gemara, of a Surya. He ran a yeshiva um, his whole life. Not, and and that, that's a lifestyle of Avram. I'm, I'm, I live that lifestyle in a much more microcosmic way, much more miniature fashion, but for me, it's hard to find the time to sit and think and to read. And there's a certain part of me that's deeply, deeply jealous of Rabbi Sachs for, and his life's accomplishment for many reasons. But I, I don't have the time in my life to sit and read through all the thinkers and writers and philosophers and to get that perspective and breadth. And it's not just I don't have the time, but when you enter the world of the base Medrash, you're entering a certain thought world, a world of thought that shapes you. And some people are more creative and some people are less creative, but it's clearly bounded by the thought of Chazal, the thought of our Masora, the Svarim that we read. There's some degree of interpretation, obviously. But it's harder to break free. And Rabbi Sachs wasn't, I think, as affected by that world. And he had more freedom of thought. And he wasn't as, not affected, but he wasn't as shaped and, and tightly wound or tightly contoured by that world. So it's not just, obviously, like he's the chief rabbi of Britain. So during that period, you know, he's living the life of Avra, not living the life of Sarah, very busy. But that, the, the, the way his life is, is described, certainly before and after, it's much more of the 
of his Sarah lifestyle of reading, thinking, studying, probing, discussing, and not as much of the busyness that detracts from that process that Avraham was engaged in. And the second part is something I talked about earlier this week. He just, and as sophisticated a thinker as he was, as complex and as eloquent and as inspiring, he really was a person of a munapshut. And I'll put a link in this share to just a share I gave earlier this week where I just quoted two or three pages from his book. And I didn't know him well enough to be able to trace whether that led to inner contentment, inner happiness. My sense from hearing him speak online, looking at the person, body language, again, it just looks to me that there was an inner baseline of contentment that stemmed from rock, solid, emuna, in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that certainly came to the fore during his several medical bouts and Again, I, I strongly, strongly recommend you, if not listen to the shear I gave. Again, it was, I was just quoting a couple pages from his book, but if you have a chance, um, it's, it's in the book, The uh, the Great Partnerships, beginning page 182 through page 185. That Those are the two pages I read. The entire chapter seems worthwhile to read. It's 182 through 205. Anyway, I say this with not trepidation, because I think these are important ideas, but I say this with a sense of caution, um, certainly the Nitziv's ideas are universal, but when I read the Nitziv, and I'm thinking a lot about Rabbi Sachs this week, it just seemed to me that there was a lot of parallel between the way the Nitziv described Sarah and the way and, and what I thought Rabbi Sachs contributed to our world of Torah. Yehi Zichro Baruch.